You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So we must be loyal to Jesus in spite of any mocking by the multitudes. We need to remain loyal to Jesus in spite of the rebellion of our flesh, even when our flesh is working against us. It's at that point we need to put down our flesh, our fleshly desires, and remain loyal to Jesus. We must also stay strong to protect even during those times when God seems distant from us. There are many voices crying out in the world today that simply go against the truth of God. These voices can distort truth. They can persecute those who believe in truth. And they can convince you God is gone. These voices are convincing and alluring and can lead many away from God. Today, Pastor Mike will encourage you to stand firm in your faith and remain true to your Lord. Don't be swayed by the lies. Don't be tempted to believe worldly thinking. It leads to nowhere. Be faithful to God like He is to you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 20 as he continues his message, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. careful. Let God speak through you. Choose your words carefully. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lip. I got to tell you something. This is very difficult for people who live in New York City, right? Because we're, we're very quick to respond and to, to speak. And we don't often choose our words carefully. You know, we, we're known for speaking our minds. I don't know if that's a really good thing or not, you know. It, sometimes it gets us into more trouble than we should have gotten in, right? But anyway, some wise counsel. Let me give you another cross-reference. This one is from the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in chapter 16 and verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit that he who takes a city. You know, there's this poem that I found that I think is appropriate here, and I want to pass it along to you. The author, it's an old poem. i got to tell you something. I was looking through my notes and my files, and I just found it. And I don't even know who wrote it. Actually, in the heading, it says, Author Unknown. So I don't, I don't even know where I got it from, but I think that it, it, it just applies very appropriately here. And it goes like this. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still, 
A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. Isn't that cool? But you know what? It's so very, very true. That's some really good uh, counsel and instruction uh, here uh, for us. So it's so very, very important the words that we choose to use when we're addressing another having an interpersonal uh, relationship uh, problem. You know, when I, when I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but the record that's recorded for us in the book of Judges. In fact, I'm going to ask you to quickly turn with me there. And in our cast of characters there in chapter 8, so in the book of Judges in chapter 8, in verses 1 through 3, and what we have here is the record of Gideon defeating the armies of the Midianites. Now, God had counseled Gideon, gave him the plan, the blueprint on how to successfully destroy uh, the Midianites. Remember the pictures with the, with the flames in them and blowing the trumpets and the 300 men and divided into three companies of people? Well, that's exactly what they did. And when Gideon gave the sign, he was the first one with his company, remember the 300 were broken up into three companies of 100 each, and they surrounded the camp of the Midianites. They had their pitchers in their hands with the fire uh, within them, sort of like a light within the pitcher. And at the same time that Gideon blew his trumpet, all, and all of the 300 were armed with trumpets. I don't even know where they got 300 trumpets from, it, you know, but they did nevertheless. Well, anyway, they all blew the trumpets at the same time, and then they broke the pitchers, and the light shone round about the camp of the Midianites, so that they, they thought that they were surrounded on all sides. And so in all of the confusion, they turned against themselves in fighting, and they killed one another. And so a great victory was given them uh, that day. But at the same time, some of the other tribes of Israel came down, and they also fought against the Midianites and tracked them down, because they were in flight now, the Midianites. In fact, it's interesting because we're, we're told concerning the Midianites that they were as great a company of people as lotuses, you know, uh, in a field. So you can only imagine how many of that they were. I mean, Israel was outnumbered, outgunned for sure. There was only 300 of them. But anyway, Gideon, before he even went forth and put his plan into the plan that God had given him into motion, he sent messengers throughout all of the tribes. And ultimately, they showed up, but they didn't show up for the initial, initial uh, battle. And so some of them were offended by that. So with that said, let's pick up now in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to see how careful Gideon was in addressing those who brings this to their attention. They were offended. They wanted the recognition for the victory over the Midianites. Verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim, and this was the problem that David was, uh, not David, but Gideon was having in this confrontation, the men of Ephraim, said to him, Gideon, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? Again, looking for recognition. Before the battle even began, why didn't you wait for us? And they reprimanded him sharply. Okay, so... Gideon's back up against the wall. How is he going to respond? Well, 
He was to respond the way that we've been encouraged to respond in those two verses of Scripture that we've just shared with you, one from the book of Psalms and one from the book of Proverbs. Now notice the wisdom here. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? I mean, you're accomplished. In other words, what he's suggesting is, listen, your accomplishments were so much greater than, than ours. And if you read the couple of verses of Scripture in chapter 7, leading up to chapter 8, verse 1, you find that the men of Ephraim, you know, in fact, uh, chased down the Midianites who were on flight, who were in flight, and they actually captured the two princes of the Midianites, Arab and Zeb. Notice there the mention of them in verse 25 of the previous chapter. And so notice uh, Gideon makes reference to that. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizir or the, uh, from the tribe of Manasseh? And uh, Gideon was a member of that tribe of uh, Manasseh. God has delivered into your hands. So again, he's suggesting that your accomplishment was greater than ours. He's given them the recognition that they were looking for. Notice, he's being a peacemaker here. He's using a lot of wisdom. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Arab, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then there, notice the response of this now. And so if you're looking to mend fences in those interpersonal broken relationships, I want you to notice here the result of which was then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Wow, what a lesson to learn, right? So pick and choose your words carefully, gang. It's so important. Now, that leads up to our chapter 20. So let's go on now and read verse 1, chapter 20. And there happened to be there a rebel, right, right when... Uh, David was to be reinstated by the tribes. All of a sudden, there appears upon the scene this fellow in our cast of characters, a fellow whose name is Sheba. And uh, this is the first time that we're introduced to this fellow here in the scriptures. He happened to be there. The son of Bikri. He was a Benjamite, so he was from, from the tribe of Benjamin. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So, what's going on here? Well, Israel's anger is now about to be exploited by an opportunist whose name is Sheba. You know, G. Campbell Morgan, who's one of my favorite uh, writers, expositors, G. Campbell Morgan, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, by the way, he said concerning this, this phrase that we have recorded there for us in verse 1, we have no share in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. This had actually become an effective slogan promoted by this man, this opportunist, Sheba. And the story should teach us that popular, plausible catchwords and slogans ought to be received and acted upon with great caution. Because those kinds of slogans can fire people up without even having any substance uh, to them. Well, as we are about to discover, Sheba 
summoned or succeeded in drawing away the ten northern tribes, and David had another civil war to deal with. And so Sheba failed to learn, and this was, <laughs> he's going to find this out very soon, Sheba failed to learn from God's judgment of Absalom, David's son, and he rebelled against God's anointed. Listen, it's never a good thing to rebel against God's anointed. And who is God's anointed, by the way? It's Jesus. It ain't going to do you any good, be sure of that, to rebel against Jesus. <laughs> You're not going to come up a victor. You can be sure of that. Well, let's go on here. We don't know much about this fellow Sheba that we're introduced to here in verse 1. We can only presume that he was known to the people of Israel, or else he wouldn't have had a platform to do what he's about to uh, do. And as I mentioned before, he's just exploiting this situation to serve his own ends. His words and actions amount to a declaration of war, but he knew how to motivate the people. And notice his protest is based on the premise that tribal independence is preferable to national unity. Well, let's go on. Let's read verse 2 now. So every man of Israel deserted David. How crazy is this? And followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah, from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to the king. So the men of Israel decided to follow Sheba. So all of the ten tribes, the northern tribes, they decided to follow Sheba. And at this point, David must have been sorry to see them withdraw. But listen, he knows that this is not the time for an open conflict, and he lets them go. But I want you to, once again, take a look at and consider another phrase that's recorded here for us. Notice there in verse 2, we are told, Judah remained loyal to the king. Now let's bring this down to personal terms. Let's talk about our continuing to remain loyal to our king, that is the king of kings. Listen, you know what? We should imitate the loyalty that Judah showed to their king, David, even as we are to show our loyalty to our king, Jesus. And we must be loyal to Jesus in spite of any mocking by the multitudes. And isn't that what Sheba was trying to do? He got everybody all fired up. I can only imagine they were all crying out at that point at David. Remember the, what they had suggested here. We have no share in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his own tents. This was their cry, right? This was their motto, if you will. And so we must be loyal to Jesus in spite of any mocking by the multitudes. We need to remain loyal to Jesus in spite of the rebellion of our flesh, even when our flesh is working against us. It's at that point we need to put down our flesh, our fleshly desires, and remain loyal to Jesus. We must also stay strong to protect, even during those times when God seems distant from us. Those are the times in which we need to remain loyal to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. So, the men of Israel decide to follow Sheba, and David must have been sorry to see them withdraw, 
but he knows that this is not the time for an open conflict. And thus he lets them go. And when it is expedient, now he makes his way back to the city of Jerusalem. Okay, let's pick up in verse 3. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and which, by the way, the same house that he had abandoned when he fleed from the city of Jerusalem because of Absalom. He came back to his house at Jerusalem. Remember, he left his ten concubines behind to take care of the affairs of his home. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and he put them in seclusion. But he supported them, and the reason why he put them in a seclusion and they remained widows was because of his son, Absalom, had committed adultery with each and every one of them. Remember that, to embarrass uh, his father. And he put them in seclusion, and, but he supported them, but did not go into them. And so they were shut up to the day of their death, living in a widowhood. So he wouldn't return once again, have any kind of relationship with these ten women, but he continued to support them. Now, uh, remember those loyal followers of uh, David, even when David flee the city of Jerusalem, when now he's coming back to the city, you know, for them it must have been a great uh, time of rejoicing for those who wept when he was forced to uh, leave. So what should have been a great time of uh, rejoicing, now David realizes that this was not a time for celebration. And David had to move quickly to squash this rebellion that's taking place, led by this fellow Sheba. And in verse 4, now let's pick up in verse 4, we read, And the king said to Amasa, who was one of his generals, Assemble the men of Judah for me. And the reason why the men of Judah was because everybody, all the men of Israel had abandoned him. So assemble all the men of Judah for me within three days, and you, Amasa, be present here yourself. Okay, so he summons Amasa, and he instructs him to call together Judah's militia. And then David gives him three days to assemble the army. But notice in verse 5, there we are told, so Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And what was that set time? Three uh, days. So Amasa found either the people weren't willing to go out to war against their brothers from the north, Israel, or were unwilling to accept Amasa as their general. Thus the delay. Well, this worries David, and so he turns now to Abishai, Joab's brother. Verses 6 and 7. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, uh, will do for us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him. He's referring to his own bodyguards. Lest he find for him self 
fortified cities and escapes us. So they're set out now to track this fellow Sheba out and kill him. So Joab's men, now this is significant. Notice the reference to Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men. And remember, the Cherethites and the Pelethites were David's bodyguards. These were not Jews. But they were hired by David to protect them. David thought it would be better, you know, because of the, because of the tribes and their own personal agendas and the possibility of them turning upon David. So actually, David hired these men who weren't Jews, who didn't have any hidden agenda, like the other tribes did very wise to do this. But these were men of renown. And so anyway, we are told, so Joab's men, with all the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, this was, uh, uh, if you would, David's special ops, sort of mercenaries, uh, like Green Berets or such, went out after him, after Sheba, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of uh, Bichri. And that's what we're told there in that verse, in verses 6 and 7. So Abishai musters together David's bodyguards and what once were his mercenaries, these special ops, as I've already mentioned, and off they go. But notice in verse 7, I'll bring you back to that, Joab's men. You see, that's a reference to those men who remained loyal to Joab. And remember, this time, Amasah has replaced Joab as David's general. So evidently, they are loyal to Joab, but not to Amasah. And so the men under what is supposed to be Abishai's leadership head north. And in verse 8, the, the first part of verse 8, we read, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasah came before them. And so they pause by a great stone. We don't know where or what that stone is in reference to, but nevertheless, it was a large stone. Probably some well-known landmark. And probably also they were there waiting, possibly waiting, for some intelligence information you know, to, to continue to go forward. But all of a sudden, notice, according to our text, Amasav joins them there, likely with the contingent he has gathered from the cities of Judah. When Joab, by the way, is Amasav's cousin, steps forward to greet him. So Joab all, all of a sudden appears out of nowhere, right? And his intentions are far from being cordial. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. And God can use you 
two, are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.